For the next few weeks, we're going to be doing a new series simply called The Church, and uh, kind of looking at what, 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 what it means to be a part of the church. Um, a lot of things have changed, and, uh, and maybe you might be wondering, but um, so one of the church leaders that I regularly listen to is a guy named Kerry Newhoff. And he is, he's probably one of the guys that is uh, one of the more influential church leaders out there today. And uh, he is, uh, just to give you a bit of an idea of, of the level of influence that this guy has, um, Rick Warren, who, a name that most of you probably heard, he's literally um, the most read per, uh, Christian leader on the planet. Um, Rick Warren recently, at the end of, of 2021, wanted to, to, to kind of look at this coming year and um, and just kind of look at the state of the church. And so who did he call in to have an interview with? Uh, Kerry Newhoff. That's just the kind of influence that, that this guy has. Well, every January for the past probably six or seven years, Kerry Newhoff has put out this article called um, Trends for, just basically Trends for the Upcoming Year in the Church. And um, th this past January... Uh, they put out a list of trends, and typically there's about six or seven trends that he puts out there. But this past January, his list, uh, there was 12 trends altogether that he put out. He called them disruptive church trends for 2022. And in his words, uh, this coming year will be a pivotal year in the life of the church. And I'm not going to read all 12 trends this morning, but you're, you are more than welcome to go online. Just Google Carrie Newhoff, 12 trends for the church, and you'll, you'll find it there. But I, I do want to read a few of these. And typically when I preach, I want to get into Scripture right away. But this morning, I'm actually going to set everything up um, for most of the sermon, and then we're going to end with a lot of, lot, of, lot of Bible this morning. But trend number one is, is this. Um, the demise of the old model of church. Every church, I don't know if you realize this, but every church has a model, which is basically just a strategy. It's, it's a way of doing things. It's a, an approach. Um, in America and in, in much of the world, the model for church has actually been the same for the last 50 years. And that model, a, a lot of it is built around the weekend service, where typically most churches have a, a service that's 60 to 75 minutes. And the assumption is that if we have a service that's done right, People will come, the church will grow, people will find Jesus. And so what we do is we work really hard to have a great service. We make sure that people are greeted on the way in. We make sure that um, we got a, uh, we do our best to have a, a solid quality worship service and, and preaching. And we hire staff to do kids ministry. And, and then during the week we have small groups and a youth program. All this kind of stuff. And this is our model. Not just in our church. But if you were to visit most churches here in Whatcom County, most churches across the nation, you would discover that this is, this is the model that, that most people are, are using um, for church. And what's interesting, though, about this model is that almost everything that I just mentioned that's a part of our model, almost everything I mentioned is not, not in the Bible. There's nothing, nothing in the Bible about having coffee, nothing in the Bible about children's ministry, about having a youth program, about weekly singing or preaching. But we're so entrenched in the model that probably a lot of us go, that must be in the Bible. But it's actually not. It's, it's, it's a model. A model that we've created. Now, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with our model, but it, it just means that it's a model. That's, that's, that's what it is. It's just a model. And according to Newhoff and his team, 
the model is in its last days. In fact, all you've had to do over the last couple years is show up at any church in America and go, oh, things have definitely changed and are not quite the same, which, by the way, might just be a good thing. It might be a good thing. And, and why is that a good thing, Rich? Why is it a good thing that things are changing so much in the church? Why is it a good thing that things look different, that our model might be in its last days? Well, it's, it's, it might be a good thing because for the last couple decades, the model has actually been proving less and less effective. And it doesn't matter what denomination you're a part of. It doesn't matter what your faith tradition is. This is true right across the board. In 2021, one of the top research groups, Gallup, they did... Uh, a study, and they found that church members membership had dropped below 50% nationally here in America um, for the first time ever. Among millennials, that's those born between 1981 and 1996, so ages 25 to 40, you're part of that whole millennial group, only 36% identify with any church. This is brand new. This has not happened before in our nation. Um, from 2000 to 2020, um, so this is pre-pandemic, the average church attendance dropped from if you, all the churches in, in America, the average church attendance has dropped from 137 people in 2020, or 2000 to 65 people in 2020. And like I said, that's not even taking into account the pandemic. And, and, and maybe this has you wondering, well, what's, what is the new model of church going to look like? Well, you don't actually have to wonder what the new model of church is going to look like because it's actually being rebuilt here today in, in our, our day and age. Only the new model is not being built by church leaders like me. It's not being rebuilt by pastors. Guess who's rebuilding the, the, the church model? You are. People are. And what do you mean by that, Rich? Well, being tied to a location is no longer important to a lot of people. And uh, over the past two years, this, this has, has accelerated, but it's shown that, that people, um, people have discovered that with a simple click on their phone or their computer, that they can, they can have the best preachers and the best worship teams in the world just by logging on to their, their computer. So location is no longer as important anymore to, to a lot of people. Um, another thing that's, that's changing is uh, people are abandoning traditional church altogether and are instead instead are meeting in homes and i've had several conversations from people right here in ferndale who no longer do traditional church as in like what we're doing right now instead what they do is they get together with several other families and they meet weekly in their home sometimes someone will have a guitar and sing some songs maybe one of the 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 maybe an adult an adult will come with a devotional and the kids all scurry off to the basement and do something down there but it's Traditional church, a lot of people are just abandoning that altogether. Um, other people, instead of bringing the whole family to a weekend service, the new model is to tune in online and to get fed that way. The old model, though, is dying. It's dying. This is, this is a trend. Um, trend number two that, that Newhoff sees is that hybrid church, so that's church, the online church, and in-person church, will simply become church. And the last two years, especially, um, church leaders, and, and I, I, you've had this, this debate yourselves, 
you've been going, okay, what should we be doing? Should we be doing online church? Should we be doing in-person church? Is it wrong that I'm doing online church? Should I just be showing up in church? We've been asking this question, and it's been this thing that's been out there, but you go away, and it's just going to simply become church. Trend number three has to do with what has been called the, the great resignation of the last two years, where around the world, um, as a result of the pandemic and as a result of uh, societal unrest, changes, all, that's kind of st- all these kind of things, all this has led to massive, massive numbers of people um, around the world, in, in, including here in America, massive numbers of people quitting their jobs, um, including uh, church staff. And Newhoff says that in the church, the negative effects of this will become more noticeable, staffing shortages more common, all over the place. And then twin number, tr- trend number four... Uh, the last trend that I'm going to mention this morning that Newhoff sees is less predictability. Not just in the church, but in l- the larger culture as a whole. And you've seen this just as much as I've seen this, that there are massive changes happening in the world today. Uh, the baby boomers. This large demographic of people is rapidly retiring. Um, you have things like uh, I don't know how familiar you are with Web 3.0, but this is going to be a massive change in the world. Inflation here in our nation and around the world is growing like, like crazy. And uh, making a, tracing out a predictable path for the future is becoming more and more impossible to do. And what this means for the church is that simply doing things as we've always done just is not going to work anymore. Now, I know what you're probably thinking, gee, Rich, Thanks for all the depressing information this morning. And uh, uh, 2022, I was, I was pretty optimistic, but now I just want to crawl in a hole and, and eat worms. Thanks a lot, buddy. Um, regardless of how we feel about things, here's the thing. None of us can change where things are at. Sorry, we just can't change where things are at. You know, I'm not super excited about coming up on 50 here in a couple years. And uh, my hair is graying, and it's falling out faster than ever. And uh, my body is experiencing more pains and soreness than ever before. Doesn't matter until we find the fountain of youth. I am stuck here in this place. Um, And the world has changed. And what's important for us to come to grips with is that the church has changed too. And we can fight it. We can dig in our heels We can say that we're not changing. Uh, We're just going to keep doing things the way we've always been doing them in hopes that we'll one day return to the glory days of old. Or or we can accept that things have changed and begin figuring out, okay, what does it mean to live as followers of Jesus in this changing world? And not only that, what does it mean for us to be the church in this changing world? And so what I want to do over the next few weeks, this isn't going to be a long series, but what I want to do over the next few weeks is, is look at some, um, some questions that, 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 that maybe you've had, I know I've had, and look, look to Scripture to find some, some answers to these questions. Questions like, what is the church? What is the church? You know, if I'm watching a preacher on the East Coast every week, is that church? Or maybe you're online and you're on the East Coast and you're watching... A church over here on the West Coast every week is that is that church, or maybe somebody else is wondering what what if my family doesn't watch any preacher, and we just do family devotions every week, or we get together with a couple other families in our home, is that church? 
Or, or what if I'm getting together to, I mean, heading up to Mount Baker every week, and I'm up, going up with two or three friends, and we're talking about Jesus on the way up there, and, and is that church? I mean, Jesus did say where two or three are gathered in my name. There am I in the midst. Is that church? What is the church? And I think where once we were pretty certain what church was, I don't know about you, but I'm not so certain anymore. What is the church? Another question that I think we need to be asking is, does, does the church even matter? Does it even matter? Can I just follow Jesus on my own? Can I just read the Bible app each day? Can I just tune in and watch a worship video or worship service online? Can I just give to my favorite charities? What's the point of all this? Does the church even matter? Another question is, how do we develop and approach the church that's faithful to Scripture? Because at the end of the day, that's what we really want, right? It's not about what my idea of church is or your idea of church is. It's about looking at Scripture, the truth of God's Word, and going, okay, God, how do we do this in a way that's faithful to Scripture? And then I think the last question that we, we have to be asking is, how do we develop an approach to church that will reach and disciple the next generation? Because here's the truth of the matter. If we're not reaching and discipling the next generation, it is only a matter of time before secularism wins out, the church loses its impact, and it fades into complete irrelevancy. And if you're going, that's impossible for that to happen, all you ha have to do is look at history, look at church history over the last 2,000 years, and you see that indeed it can happen, and it, it has happened before. And if we're not reaching and discipling the next generation, if that is not a top priority, give it 50 years, 100 years tops, and the church simply becomes another relic of history, at least in our part of the world. And so for the next few weeks, I want to just dive into Scripture and see what does God's Word have to say about these questions? And as we do, there's, there's one other question that I want to answer, and that's this, what does all this mean for CPK Ferndale? What does this mean for us, for our church family, what, what, where are we headed? How will things look different in the future? What, why are we here? Why are we here in this city? Is it, does it even make sense that we're here anymore? Why does this matter? What is God laying on our hearts for the future? There's a, a, a part of Scripture that I want to read this morning. Actually, two, two sections of Scripture that I want to read this morning. The first one has to do with the church's birthday, how the church got started. And the other is a portion that describes our current reality. And the first section, is, let me just give you a little bit of context. It's Acts chapter 2, and uh, we read here the church is born. Um, this particular day was an extraordinary day. It's, it's, it's in the morning, and the Holy Spirit has just fallen on Jesus' uh, followers, about 120 of them who had been gathered together. And on the outside, it looks like a very chaotic scene. People are speaking in all these crazy languages. They're, they're speaking in languages that are not their own language. And uh, crowds are starting to swarm. They're starting to gather because something is going on here. There's this, there's this, there's this, there's this upheaval happening. Some people see what's going on. They, they make fun of them because they're going, okay, it's early in the morning, and these guys are acting like they're drunk. But there's another group of people that are going, there is something happening here that I need to be paying attention to. There are people who shouldn't be worshiping God in my language, but I hear them worshiping God in my language, and they're, they're astounded. For the believers, though, it's anything but chaotic. Just several months prior, their, their spirits had been crushed as they watched Jesus, the one who was the, the, 
their, who they were expecting would be their Lord and Savior. They'd watched Jesus be crucified. They'd watched his dead body be laid into a tomb. But he'd risen from the dead. They saw him, and then they watched as he was taken up into heaven. And, and this Holy Spirit, who they are experiencing, is the very Spirit of Christ Jesus flowing through them. And for them, it was anything but chaos. It was joy. It was peace. It was hope. It was power, strength, and purpose. And as the crowds grow larger, Peter, who was the same fisherman that Jesus had called three years ago, had surrendered his life to Jesus there on the shores of Galilee. Peter stands up to explain to the crowds what's happening. And as he does, the Spirit of God opens blind eyes. People begin to see the truth of who Jesus is. They begin to see that He really is God. Their hearts become alive to the reality that He, he really did rise from the dead. And then the Bible describes what happened next like this. It says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And 2,000 years ago, the, 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 the gravity of what's happening here, I think is somewhat lost on us. But this message that Peter is preaching, this news that the Holy Spirit is no longer going to be confined within the walls of a building, but now He's available for everybody, this, this is revolutionary. It was something that would literally change the world. And next the Bible says, Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Wild. 3,000 put their faith and trust in Jesus, and the Bible says they are added to the church. And what happens next is pretty significant for us where we're going in this series. The Bible translators have, have actually added a title to this next section in my Bible. I'm not sure if it's in your Bible, but they've added this title that, that sums up what happens next in the biblical narr narrative. And they've simply titled the next section, The Believers Form a Community. The Believers Form a Community. They don't, after Pentecost, simply go home and just begin living life on their own, doing things their own way. The Bible doesn't say the next thing they do is they, they look around at, oh, there's 3,000 people. We need to build a cathedral that's going to hold 3,000 people in it. It doesn't say that. They, they, they instead form a community. Not just any community, it, it's a community that's going to look a certain way, and it does certain things. The Bible says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Interesting. It's just so simple. So simple. It's uncomplicated church. The Word is taught. People listen. Not only that, they spent time together. They devoted themselves to seeking God in prayer, kind of like what we're doing with this month of prayer and fasting, that they go, we're going to do that together. Surely it couldn't have been that simple. No big cathedrals, you know, no professional worship bands, no video production, no highly budgeted youth and children's programs. Surely with things being so simple, the church would have just like faded off 
into the distance and, and faded off into irrelevancy. Not at all. In fact, the Bible says that instead, a deep sense of awe came over, all, came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It's so amazing to me how in this, this, this story that we just read, how God takes what looked like a hopeless situation— you know, you have literally the, the founder of this group of people, the founder of this, 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 this faith, Christianity. You have the, the founder of, of this group of people's faith who had just been crucified and buried in a tomb. And next thing you know, he comes back alive and launches a movement that's going to change the course of history, a movement that over the last 2,000 years has literally seen millions upon millions upon millions of people's lives completely transformed by the power of the gospel. Yes, the future might be more unpredictable than ever. Things are looking different than, than we thought they'd, they'd be. Things might even seem chaotic. But here's the thing we need to know today. The same God who moved on that day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, the same God that spoke to those 3,000 people and transformed their hearts, the same God who emboldened and empowered the early church to be a light in this world, that same God is alive today and here in this place. In fact, He's living in our hearts and souls. And if we're surrendered to Him, if we follow Him, if we have enough faith to believe that He's still at work today, He will do something in this day and age that will bring honor and glory to His name, something better than we could ever ask or imagine. And things have changed without a doubt. Things are going to change even more than they have changed with, without a doubt. And, and I don't know what the future is going to look like. I don't know what it's going to look like for the church. I don't know. Uh, who, who knows? Nobody here can, can, can say with 100% surety that you know exactly what, where we're going to be this time, 2023. We just don't know. But I can tell you this. I am excited to be a part of the church today. I am excited because God has a way of coming in a situation where that, that's unpredictable, that might even seem chaotic, or it seems like things are confusing and uncertain. God has a way of coming into those seasons in the life of the church and doing something incredible, something that, that we couldn't even plan for if we wanted to. Because it's in those situations where the God that we serve takes what, what looks like weakness, and He comes in in His strength, and He does something that's going to bring honor and glory to His name. And how can there be such hope? Maybe you're going, Rich, I, I limped in here this morning just going, man, I think I'm just done. I think this, is, this might just be my last Sunday being a part of a church. Maybe you're online, you're going, this is, this is probably, you, you, this morning you're like, I think this might be it. And maybe you're going, Rich, how can you have hope? How can you be excited about being a part of the church in this day and age. How can you do that? It's because of the God that we serve and because of how He works and how He moves and how powerful He is and how there's so much hope in Him.
And this morning, I want to wrap up by reading a passage of Scripture to you. And I just, I, it's not going to be up on the screens this morning. And I just want it to like settle into your, your heart and soul. And be reminded today, be reminded to, today of the God we serve. Scripture says in Colossians 1 that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things that we can see, and he made the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. If you're here today, and you're afraid of what the future might hold, let that bring you some faith and comfort and peace today. Christ Jesus himself holds all creation together. And get this, this is why as people who are part of this body of believers called the church, this is why we can take such hope and faith in the future of the church. The Bible goes on to say that Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. It wasn't because of us. It wasn't because of what we had done. It wasn't because we got our act cleaned, cleaned up and we started living as good people. No, he reconciled us to himself because of the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. This is to someone today that's drifting. Scripture says, don't drift away. Stand firm in the assurance you received when you first heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. And so what do we do? Do we hide in a hole, afraid of, of the future, uncertain, just trembling in our boots? No, instead, we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. And then Paul, who wrote this, goes on to say, that's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Be encouraged today. Christ is in you. Christ, the same God who created the heavens and the earth, he is in you, and He is in us, His church. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the assurance of your, your, your word today. 
Lord, I thank you that, that God, right now, in this moment, God, it might be that someone's looking at the world today and just, God, seeing the uncertainty and the chaos and, 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 and they're just, Lord, lacking peace. God, it might be that someone, God, maybe just in their, their own family, God, they're just, they're, they're surrounded by uncertainty and chaos and destruction, whatever it might be. God, I pray that this morning they would just take such hope and assurance knowing that you, the God who created the heavens and the earth, you, the God who, who loves us so much that you gave your life for us, you who's the God who, who just pours out his grace and compassion on us, God, you, according to the scripture that we just read, God, you hold the world together. You haven't abandoned us. You haven't left us. God, you hold, hold this world together. And God, you're with us. God, you're for us. You who did not spare your own son, but freely gave him up for us all. You are for us. And God, may we take such great hope in that. May we take such great hope in that. And God, I pray, Jesus, for the person, Lord, who's here today, who, God, they would, they would say, yeah, that's me. I'm drifting. I'm drifting. I'm just like a wave, or just like a wave on, in, in the sea that I'm just blown here and there, just, I'm drifting. God, I pray that, that, that this moment, God, right here, right now, that Jesus, they would, they would come back to you, that Jesus, they wouldn't rely on their circumstances getting cleaned up and put together, but Jesus, they would come and stand on you, the one who is the rock, the one who doesn't change, the one whose faithfulness will remain the same throughout all the ages. God, may they come back to you away from their drifting and stand firm on you today. And God, I pray for us, your people, God, this community of believers that we call CTK Ferndale, Jesus, I pray that, that Lord, you would help us to be people, Jesus, that rely on you more than anything else, who keep our eyes fixed on you more than anything else. God, I am excited for what you have in store for us. God, I confess that I don't know exactly how the future is going to look, but Jesus, I do know that, Jesus, you are going before us, that, God, you will be our shepherd, that, God, you will be the head of this church. That's who you are. And that, God, you, you, you have good things in store for us. And that, God, you have got so many things that you want to continue to do through us. God, there's a city that needs to know you, a county, a nation, a world, God, that desperately needs you. So God, today we just surrender to you. We surrender to you, your people, and say, come, have your way. Have your way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.